you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We will finish this chapter today. 1 Corinthians 13, as we have been looking at the very nature of love, the Apostle Paul has shown us several things here. If you will, let's begin in verse 8 this morning. Let's go ahead and read. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He says, Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. As we come this morning to close out this chapter, this very popular, well-known chapter that is read at weddings and is read in churches and other you know, places dealing with love and all that, it's more, as I told you last week, it's more than just a, a poem. It's more than just a hymn. This is tangible love. And so Paul has shown us this. And so we saw in verses 1, 2, and 3 that the absence of love... If there is an absence of love, then, there, then we have nothing. And then in verses 4 through 7, we saw the application of love. Paul showed us what love looks like. What it, the tangible form of love. How it, how it expresses itself from me to you and you to one another and vice versa. But this morning, we now come to Paul's final statement here. Paul's final point. That love will abide. So we're looking at, the, we're going to discover the meaning today of abiding love. And what he means by that is love never fails. And so there are three things this morning that I want you to see. I want you to see the rule, the reason, and the reign, R-E-I-G-N, the reign of love. The rule, the reason, and the reign. And I want us to begin here in the very first one, the rule. Notice again that Paul says there in verse 8 that he says love never fails. Here he is stating to us a rule, something that is in place, something that is the, the, by which God governs the world. That, that it's, 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 it's going to happen this way whether we like it or not because it is God's rule and it needs to be the rule by which we live our lives. We remember here that Paul, was, as he's closing out, he is wanting to emphasize love to a church that has been non-loving and he's doing this with an emphasis now on the persistent nature of love love never fails i believe that we sometimes misunderstand this verse that this is the where we may get that mantra that all you need is love and the idea is is that if i if i can express love or if there is love in all that i do then my efforts will not fail but we know this not to be true. We know that there are those who love. There are those who have loved wayward children. 
And it doesn't turn out the way of the parable of the prodigal son. Where the son returns to the father. We know many parents who have, who have loved and their efforts ha- have failed. That their children have not returned. They have not repented. They have not come back. So we understand that, we must understand that Paul is not saying here that just because you have love, that your efforts and all that you do will succeed. The meaning of this verse is something far more profound. It's actually very much less temporal and very much eternal. When Paul says love never fails, what he means is love never fades. Um, the Greek word ekpipto, ekpipto, means to fall or to perish, to, to cease to exist. It fades into oblivion. It is no more. The word never means never at all. It's absolute. In other words, never, ever, ever, ever. Paul says here that, that love will never, ever or there, are he saying there will never ever be a time when love will cease to be, where it will be, where it will perish, not presently and not in the future. And so there is never a time where believers will not love God and not love one another. So the way that you could picture this really would be, I think, is very relevant for us as a, a picture you can grasp in my yard right now. There are pine needles and leaves from, from the oak trees and things like that. We're, we're moving into fall, and so we'll, we're seeing the leaves fall off the tree. And then in a few months, we'll, we'll see where the trees will have, many of them will have no leaves at all. What Paul is giving us is a picture of a tree that never loses its leaves, no matter the season. Whether cold and bitter, whether it's hot and harsh, whether, it's, whether the wind blows as high and as fast as it can go, he says, the leaves will never fall. You must remember the Corinthians were emphasizing spiritual gifts at this time. That is the context of which this chapter falls, is that, they were, that he's dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, we're going to come right back to that. And so he's, he's dealing with the issue of spiritual gifts because they had basically made these factions and formed these groups within the church because they were competing with one another according to their spiritual gifts. I, I have a certain spiritual gift and my gift is better than your gift. And so I am more spiritual than you. I am, I am more spiritual in God's eyes than you are. He loves me more. And that's what you kind of saw the more public showy gift was the more spiritual a person would be. And so Paul rebukes that behavior, and he, he did that in the previous chapter, but now he's wanting to show them that there is a greater rule to live by, and that rule that we must live by is, is that we must pursue love even more than spiritual gifts. Look at verse 8. He writes, But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. The phrase done away in the Greek means to become inactive, to come to an end. In other words, they will perish. What Paul is saying is, is that the spiritual gifts that we see and that we use and that we have today will one day come to a point where they will cease to be. And so a couple things that I would just say right here is understand that Paul is saying the gifts will, will, will perish. So in the gift of knowledge, it is the gift of understanding that will perish, not knowledge itself. 
And another thing that we certainly do not have time for this morning is, is that we actually see that the issue of speaking in tongues is actually in a different form here, written in the middle tense. And so scholars debate this and say that tongues have ceased sooner than the gift of prophecy and even knowledge. But that is not the big idea here. The big idea of what Paul is saying is that there is a greater rule by which the church must live by here on earth, and that is that we must emphasize love, even emphasize it even more than spiritual gifts and church practices. You see, the Corinthians were emphasizing their gifts rather than love. They were emphasizing their deeds and their works and all the things that they had done, and they were just, they were just so invested in themselves and so invested in what they did that they never really truly showed love to one another. And that's the reason for chapter 1 to chapter 12. And even chapter 14, it's, it's the reason for all of this. They were a church that was unloving and so there are two things that I think that we should acknowledge here that when we see when Paul makes this very broad and bold statement that love never fails, it never ceases, and, and it's to be even pursued over even the, the, the pursuing of spiritual gifts. Number one, two things here. One, the rule of love takes priority. If you'll just take your, your Bible and just turn over to, to, the, to the right to chapter 16. Just, just turn over to chapter 16 and look at verse 14. Paul, Paul's coming to an end of this, of this letter. We're very, very close to, to the end of this. And so the last chapter is a, a chapter of, of summation. He's going to conclude everything. And notice what he says. Let all that you, let all that you do be done in love. Note, notice how... Paul is going to sum up and, and make a charge to the people. And, and, and everything that he's talked about with the lawsuits and the factions and the harsh criticism and the, the church discipline and the sexual immorality and the, the, the issues and the difference between marriage and singleness and divorce and, and all of the things that we've looked at, the, the Lord's Supper and them getting drunk and spiritual guilt, all of that, Paul just comes back to them and he says to them, all that you do, do in love. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling us this morning that because of the very nature of love, that it will, there will cease a time where it, there will never be a time where it will cease to exist, that it will cease to be, to reign, that it must be a high priority in our life. You and I within the church must emphasize love. It must be present in all that we do. It must be present in your Sunday school classes that when you gather together, it must be present in your mission, op, the mission uh, um, works that you do. It must be present in your fellowships. It must be present in your conversations and the words. It must be present when we sing to the Lord and we sing to one another. It must be present even in the preaching and the teaching. How dare a pastor or a preacher ever preach without love for his congregation? It must be present even in the church discipline. It must be present when those who are in sin that we call them back. It must be present in all that we do tonight when we do business, right? Probably the one place that most churches really you are, are Baptist churches where we have not seen the greatest acts of love have been the, the Baptist business meetings, you know, we hear those horror stories. Well, brothers and sisters, in all that we do, we are to love. And so in the business meetings, we are to love. In the fellowships and the food and the sitting at the table, we are to love. Paul is saying, love never fades. Love never fails. So why are you not loving one another? 
if love never fades, then the problem is not love. The problem is you and me. And so Paul is saying that this is the rule by which we live by. That love is a high priority. But let me also say this. I believe there is a second thing here we must take note of. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time because we dealt with this last week. The rule of love has rules to follow. We must understand that the rule of love has rules to follow. What I mean by this is that we don't get to decide how to love one another. Paul has already decided that for us. And by that I mean the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul has already decided that for us in verses 4 through 7. So so very quickly just look back to chapter 13 verse 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant, does not act unbecoming, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the rules by which the rule of love is to be carried out. And too many times within the evangelical church, we place an emphasis on love, especially in the American church culture. We're going to love people, but we're going to do so By breaking the rules, brothers and sisters, that is not love. One example of that is that we tend to rejoice in unrighteousness because we want to be loving. So so hear me this morning, FBC, if there is one thing that should not be missing from this church, there may be a lot of things that FBC never gets to do and we never do. We may not have the great youth ministries and the great children's ministries. We may not have... You may not have the greatest preacher. You may not have the greatest discipleship and the greatest music. You may not have the whistles and the bells. And you may not have a church full, full of people, 100% of people, you know, filling up 100% of the seats here. You may not have all of that. But whether it is five of us or two of us or a thousand of us, we are to have love for one another. Because love never ceases to be. It is the rule by which we live by. And we live by the rules by which we are given. But what is the reason for this though? How did, how did Paul come to this thing of love never ceases? This is a very bold and, and deep truth if you think about it. So, so look at verse, uh, again, look at verse 9. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but... When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And so here we find his reasoning. Understand that Paul is not arguing for love to reign in our life because somehow love wins the competition between spiritual gifts. That's not what this is. He's not, he's not putting them together, pitting them together. There's not a competition here. He simply recognizes an obvious truth. Spiritual gifts will cease because of their nature and purpose. In other words, spiritual gifts are meant to be temporary they, they, they are meant to be temporary the gifts l- l- listen to, to david uh, guzik on this he says the gifts are temporary containers he said they are temporary containers of god's work love is the work itself and so therefore the gifts of the holy spirit are appropriate at the present time but they are not permanent they are imperfect gifts for an imperfect time do you remember first corinthians chapter 8 in verse 2 where paul said this This was during the whole, you know, they had knowledge and the whole eating of the meat and liberty stuff. And he says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. 
Translation, you don't know everything. You don't know all things. If you think you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so the translation is is that there's a whole lot of knowledge about God and a whole lot of knowledge about His Word that you have not exhausted. I I get that you may think that you know a lot about the Bible and that you got it all figured out, but you don't. You don't know what you don't know. You cannot exhaust this Bible. You cannot exhaust the doctrines. And so there are things that you and I have yet to fully grasp and will not grasp. So, for example, just to give you some, think of the Trinity, the three and one, one and three. There is one God, but there's three persons. Yes, we believe it. We know it. We preach it. We have faith in this, that it is true. But can you actually understand and explain this to completion? Or the incarnation of Christ? 100% God and 100% man. Or how about the issue of God's sovereignty and election, predestination, and the, but yet human responsibility and free will and all that? They, how do these things work together? If you ever thought to yourself, I just can't figure all this out. You are in good company. I'm in that group, by the way. The Apostle Paul is in that group, Philippians 3.13. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Or, or we're in the same group as, as Zophar, the friend of Job. He says, Job, can you discover the depths of God? Can you, can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are as high as the heavens. What can you do, Job? Joe, they are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Brothers and sisters, we will never exhaust the knowledge of God. We are an imperfect people living in a time of, uh, where we only know a partial, a glimpse. We currently live in a time of imperfection and, and partial knowledge. But what we do know It's not by your doings or my own doings, but by the grace of God. That the very knowledge of God that you and I have, it comes by His divine power. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. You see, brothers and sisters, today you know that there is a God in heaven who created all things and created all things in harmony and knew everything was good. You know that mankind broke that, that we sinned against God and that we are under the judgment of God. You were under the judgment of God or you're under the judgment of God now if you're not saved. You, we, you know this or you're hearing it for the first time today because of the power and the grace of God. You know that God, out of his great love and his great goodness for you, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That he died in your place bringing forgiveness and justification to all who would believe and repent of their sins. That through his death and his burial and his resurrection that Jesus Christ can bring salvation and that we can repent of our sins today and be saved and that through his Holy Spirit would come and live within us and we can be sanctified and one day we're going to live with him. You know that because God himself allowed you to know that. You see, Adam sinned against God, and Adam, who was perfect and had a knowledge of God, but in his sin, 
we are now imperfect and we have been separated from God. And what we know about God is only the beginning. It is only the partial. But what Paul is saying is that there's one day going to come where the perfect will where the perfect will come and the imperfect will give way to perfect and the partial will give way to completion. And when that time comes, spiritual gifts will no longer be needed. There will no longer be the gift, the, the need for the gift of prophecy and preaching. Why? Because when we're with God, there's not going to be anyone that needs to hear the revelation of God because we're all going to know the revelation of God. We're all going to know God. We won't need the gift of knowledge. Knowledge will not cease to exist. We will have the knowledge of God in that time, but we will not need someone with the gift of knowledge to discern the will of God so that it can be taught, so it can be given to others. Because in that day, we will all know God fully. These are gifts that are needed presently because imperfect people have no knowledge of God. There are people in this world who have far less than what you know. And God has given us the gift that we, of preaching and prophesying and knowledge that we may go and share that with them and other gifts as well. But that will not always be the case. In verse 10, the perfect will come and the partial will be done away with. What is the perfect? Come to find out, this is a great huge debate between scholars and pastors and things on this and i simply believe with a few others that this is just the eternal state by which we will live in when jesus comes or when we die that when we are with christ fully in the glorified body and all of that and we know him fully the old will be done away with and the complete we will see the fulfillment of the new and this is the this is this is the illustrations that paul gives in verse 11 and 12 notice verse 11 he says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. He says, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words, the childish, the child is the partial and the imperfect. But when he became a man, he'd done away with the childish thing. So the spiritual gifts we have as children, because we're not fully developed yet, but when we are with God in heaven, we will no longer lead those things. And so we do away with those things. Notice verse 12. He uses the illustration of the mirror. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but, the fate, but, but he said, but then face to face. In Corinth, they were known for their bronze mirrors. But many of those mirrors would eventually fade in the reflection. It would become dim and it would get stained. And, and, and so they would look and they, it would be really hard to, to see themselves. And so Paul, Paul says, using an illustration that they understood, he says that today we see through like a window that is that's stained up, that's foggy. You can see a little bit, but there's going to come a day where you see face to face. In other words, you're going to know fully. FBC, the apostle, is not saying that spiritual gifts are not important. He's not saying your spiritual gift is not important. He's not even saying that the church practices that we do are not important. They are extremely important for this present moment, this present age. But there's coming a day when all of these things will cease to exist, but love will not. Love will continue. And carry on into the next age. And so let me give you a few observations on this. If love will carry on even into heaven. 
then brothers and sisters, then we need to know that love is a grand testimony of the age to come. I'll say that again. Love is a grand testimony of heaven. It is a grand testimony of, of, etern- of the eternal life of which we're going to have with Christ. It is, it is love that, that we see that within the church, loving one another in the church, my, my, my feelings for you and my, my sacrifices to you or your sacrifices to me and our, our relationship, the, the bearing with one another and the caring for one another and the walking with one another in hardships and in difficulty and, and enjoying one another in good times. Our love for one another that, that we, we looked to Sunday morning. And so my, my wife was, was, you know, woke up with all this sinus stuff this morning. And so she, said, she decided to stay home. And she just said, I want to go to church because I love those people. I love the people there. And so we love to gather together that we may worship God and that we may love one another. It's a good feeling, isn't it? It is a foretaste of heaven. It is literally taking the finger and licking the icing. It it is just a taste of what is to come. And so when you and I show up to this place and we love one another and we do life outside of this very building with one another and the world sees that, it is a testimony of that which they hopefully will desire to have. May I say this to you this morning, if you do not embrace loving others on earth, if you were a person who says, I, you know, I'm not into this big love stuff, you are going to be a miserable soul in heaven. You will be a miserable soul in heaven. Because brothers and sisters, we are going to be saturated with the love of God and the love of one another. Why? Because love will never cease. But now I'll give you a second observation. Paul's talking about heaven. He's not talking about hell. And so therefore, we have to flip the coin on the other side and we see that love will will not be present in in, in hell we know in 1 John 2, verse 9 through 11, that, that if we dislike our brothers and sisters, we do not love God. If we do not love one another, we do not love God. The love of God is not in us, and we know that the judgment of God is on us, and we will live an eternity in hell. We will be punished and thrown in, cast into the lake of fire. And you will get exactly, by the way, in hell what you wanted on earth. To be left alone, isolated, and nobody have anything to do with you. Because that's what you get in hell. You get darkness and nothing, complete separation from God and one another. You get no love in hell. If I could implore you today, if you are unsaved, brothers and sisters, I would implore you today to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I would implore you today that you would come and know true love because hell is a place where you will not find it. And you will not get a second chance. Repent of your sins and come to know the love of God and know the love of a church family. Come and know love. But I would even say thirdly, brothers and sisters, that love is an investment in the eternal. Here at FBC, we use that word investment a lot, don't we? You're probably going to get tired of Trey and I saying it. 
but we, we, we talk about investing in one another, and we, we even have it as a core value, church investment, and we say that we are making an investment of our time and our energy and our resources to the work of the kingdom that God is carrying out here. At FBC, we encourage every member to be invested in our goal of being a healthy church. Brothers and sisters, church investment is to be saturated with love. Your, your life, your ministry, the things that you do. We had that whole thing of where we're like, you know, I'm going to witness. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve God. I don't need the church. I'm going to do it without the church. I, I just serve God. Have you ever made a bad investment? I mean, have you ever, I mean, you know, it's kind of like verses 1, 2, and 3. You, you, there's some good things there, but you did it without love, and so it's nothing. So, so, so you did a lot of stuff, but you didn't really reap a big benefit out of it. Remember what Solomon has been telling us in the Sunday school. That if a man can gain wealth and riches and all these other things, fame and fortune, he can gain all of these things. But there's going to come a day where he's going to die. And somebody's going to get all your stuff. And Solomon says, vanity of vanities. It's all meaningless. Brothers and sisters, when we invest in love, it's not in vain. You know the old story of the guy who had all the riches and when he died, he, he thought he was going to take it with him and he got to heaven, but he didn't have it. You invest in love, when you get to heaven, it'll be waiting on you. You see, your retirement that you're working for, you're going to lose that one day because you're going to die. That legacy that you're trying to build of your life and who you are, you're going to be forgotten one day. All of the experiences and pleasures that you're wanting to have before you die, yeah, it's, it's going to come down to diddly squat. But if you invest in love, if I invest in loving the people of God in my faith family and in my church, that is something that I get to carry with me to heaven. Because love will not cease. Matter of fact, what you will find is, is that you invested rightly. And when you get to heaven, the love that you had on earth and the love you invested on earth was just a small smidgen of that which you will know in heaven. It will grow. It will overwhelm you. The love shared in our labors will transcend eternity. The fall festivals may not transcend. The, you know, the events may not transcend. But the love of the labor will transcend. For when we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, we will know and experience an even greater love with one another. If it's not love that you're investing in, you have invested in the wrong thing. And you will be a miserable, miserable soul in heaven. But thirdly, notice the rain. I want you to notice the rain of love. Notice verse 13. He says, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is, of, of these is love. The most important, the predominant one of these. The one that, that reigns and rules over the faith, faith hope, or grace. They're, they're major, major doctrinal heavyweights within, within Christianity. I've been kind of struggling with this because I, we look at faith and hope, and I think there's a debate here on this, but this is also part of the whole gift thing, the gift of faith and stuff. 
we see here, without faith, brothers and sisters, we know faith is huge. And Paul speaks of it, that without faith, one can never be saved or experience and express love. Hope is the believer's confident expectation of heaven and all the things that God has promised. Faith and hope is what carries you and I through this world, through the darkest and most difficult times. Both of which Paul, as I said, speaks very highly of. Yet when we talk about the gifts of faith and hope, though, he is confidently saying that the gift of love, love itself, love is the greatest, love reigns. Why? Three things that I, I think are, that we can say here. Number one, that love is shared between Christian and God. You see, our Father has no need for faith. Our Father has no need of hope. Nor does the Bible say that God is faith or God is hope. God has no need of faith or hope because He's God and He knows all. But the Bible does say that God is love. And the Bible does say that God shows and expresses love. And so therefore, when we look at these three, love is greater because this is something that you and I have in common with God. Even better than this is that the more that you and I love others, we begin to love as our Father has loved us. We see this in 1 John four twelve. We see that love is the core of God's character and the central to the Christian life. And so the law of Christ is to love, the law of Christ is to love God and love others. Love reigns. Why? Because it is something that we share with God because God reigns as love. Number two, I would say that love strengthens faith and hope. If you remember, again, verses two and three, says, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. If I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Well, faith and hope without love. Apparently there's a hope, the one who gives his body over, there's a hope that something is I, I'm going to experience with God. So faith and hope without love is nothing. William Barclay says this, he says, faith without love is cold, and hope without love is grim. But love is the fire which kindles faith, and it is the light which turns hope into, into certainty. Faith and hope may abide as love does, but love reigns, for without love, the other two gifts are nothing. Love benefits others. John Calvin said, thirdly here, love benefits, because faith and hope are our own. Love is distributed among others. In other words, faith and hope benefit the possessor, me, the individual, but love will always benefit another. You see, love is selfless. Love works for your good. Love works for the good of the, of, of the object of some, that's not you, someone else. It cannot remain within itself. And this is part of what makes love such a great gift. Please understand that Paul is not diminishing faith and hope here. Paul, Paul understands, as well as I hope that you do, that love can never atone for your sins. You will not go to heaven because you love people. You love people because you have placed your faith in Christ and been forgiven of your sins. You can love people all day long, but unless you place your faith in Jesus, you can, brothers and sisters, you can't be saved. And likewise, even with the issue of hope, you remain in your sins. 
So Paul is not diminishing love, faith and hope here, but what he is doing is he shows us that love is connected to faith and hope and that it is this blood, it is this, this line that runs through them, that strengthens them. What we see here, brothers and sisters, is because of the nature of love, love reigns. And if it, is, and if it reigns, if it's predominant, if this very nature makes it predominant and makes it important, even in the eyes of God, and the fact that it transcends this world into the next. Then the question that you need to ask this morning is this. Believer, does love reign in your life? Does love reign in the faith family of First Baptist Church of Jonesboro? Does love reign in your words toward one another? Does love reign in your marriage? Does love reign even when you have disagreements in the church? Does love reign with those who have hurt you and broken your heart? Does love reign in exercising of spiritual gifts and church practices? Is it, is it the, the thing that we are investing in the most? Does love reign at First Baptist Church when we gather for worship? Will love reign tonight when we gather for, for business and for fellowship? This morning, if you are sitting here and you realize that love has not reigned in your life, brother, sister, let me encourage you to repent of your sin of that. And let me impress upon you, let me, let me impress upon you today three things. Number one, that you would know the love of Christ. Love for others can never, ever reign in your life if you do not know the love of Christ. If you are not a Christian today, you will never know the love of a faith family, even if you're a member of a church. Let that sink in. You will never know the true love of a faith family. You may be a member, but if you ain't a believer, if you ain't a Christian, you're not going to understand. You're not going to truly feel what love really is. And so I invite you today that if you are not a believer, that you would come and be saved. I, I don't just invite you, I plead with you and implore you this morning to come to know true love that is found in Jesus, the one who died for your sins. Because there is no love without Christ, presently or in eternity, until you know the love of Christ and salvation. But secondly, I would ask you this morning, that, or, or, or tell you this morning, impress upon you this morning, that you must grow in the love of Christ. Not just know the love of Christ, but you must also grow in the love of Christ. Our love flows out of His love for us and our love for Him. And so according to 1 John chapter 2, you cannot claim, on the one hand, to be a lover of God, if on the other hand, you are not a lover of people, a lover of church members, a lover of brothers and sisters. So the love of God will overflow through Him into your life and like a cup overflow into others. And so therefore you must love God. You must not only love God, but you must grow in the love of God. You must be sanctified. You must be edified. You must be built up. And so I would implore you, brothers and sisters, to preach the gospel to yourself daily. To be reminded of the love of God that has been poured out and shed for your sins that you do not forget, that you do not look at that mirror and it is dim. I would implore you to pray daily for God to give you a greater love for Him and for people. 
I would, I would ask you to, to immerse yourself in the Word of God. I, I would ask yourself to immerse yourself in Bible study with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Find a mentor. Come to Monday mornings, men. Come, come, come to other moments and times and immerse yourself in the Bible. Study the Bible. And I would even tell you this morning, immerse yourself in weekly worship. Because as you grow in the Lord, you will begin to love others. And then I would say thirdly, you must invest in the love of Jesus Christ, of the people you must invest in the love of Jesus, Jesus' people. The more we learn and the longer we are together, the greater our love for one another will be. And we will invest it in one another day after day after day. We will invest it when we worship. We will invest it when we go to class together in Sunday school. We will invest it when we eat with one another and fellowship with one another. We will walk with one another through the good times and enjoy those moments and go on trips and do all fun things. But we will also invest it when the dark days come. You have to choose others, brothers and sisters. Choose to love others over yourself when the moment arises let me close with Solomon this morning. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, he says, For love is as strong as death. Death is pretty strong, isn't it? But he says love is as strong as death. His jealousy is as during as the grave. He says love flashes like fire. It is as bright as the largest fire, a flame that cannot be put out. Verse 7, he says, many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all of his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned, because love is a far greater treasure than even all the riches of the world. FBC, love never fails. I pray that love will reign in your life, and it will reign in the life of this church. Let's pray.